Good morning. It's good to see you here. I'm so glad you've joined us. I'm glad our live stream crowd has joined us this morning. I do want to say, I've been saying this the last couple of weeks, so you know who Andy Stanley is. He's Andrew Stanley. He's Andy Stanley's son, if that makes a connection for you. He is Charles Stanley's grandson, if that makes a connection for you. But we're going to have a great time next Saturday night, so plan on being here and uh, participating in that. Invite somebody, bring somebody with you, right? That's why we do that stuff. Hey, also, if you are interested in Israel and you, even if you hadn't signed up, may I tell you, the middle of November is the drop dead date for that. So make sure that you, uh, that you talk to me or so forth. If you're interested, if you wanna make sure, check it out. It is a great spiritual journey and experience. And then the last thing I want to talk about is baptism really quick. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior and you've not been baptized, boy, the scripture commands us to do that. It talks about affirming that and sealing. And so let's, uh, let's plan on baptizing if you haven't been baptized yet. Then we've been doing this thing, right, where we've set a goal of how many people collectively, like it's not my goal or it's not the staff's goal, it's all of our goal to share Jesus. And then, uh, and then ultimately to, uh, to see them uh, kind of like say yes, absolutely, and give that public testimony of baptism. Um, and, and, you know, we've been having folks sign the wall that's been baptized. So, um, so keep that in mind and sign up for baptism. Talk to me. Talk to one of the pastors out in the lobby. Make sure we get you on that list for that public profession and great celebration. Good stuff. Well, we're in our last series, our last teaching in anxiety. Now, I want to apologize because last week, if you were here, I created a lot of anxiety in the crowd. So I want you to relax. No object lessons today. All right. So I know you're nervous about that. I had several people ask me, what's the object lesson today? They were debating on whether they were coming in or not. No object lessons today. So, okay, great. So you can relax, be calm. But all of us have dealt with moments of anxiety, right? In our emotions, we know how it affects us. In our thought processes, we know how it affects us. Some of us, even physically, we have felt the impact of our anxiety. They say 20% of all adults currently right now deal with anxiety at a level in which it is considered a disorder, meaning it's dominating your life. They say that 33% of all adults will deal with anxiety at a disordered level at some time. That's why we say when anxiety attacks, not if anxiety attacks. So I do want to say a word that if you're dealing with anxiety at that level, make sure you take the appropriate steps. Make sure you don't walk that alone. Make sure that you seek out counseling. We do have a counseling center here at the church. Uh, just make sure you take the right steps in trying to help deal with those things. But there's good news for us who are believers, right? It is that Jesus is about changing our eternal destiny from hell to heaven. But Jesus is about more than that. He is also about producing in us our most peaceful, purposeful, and productive life here and now. Jesus is on your side here and now. And anxiety attacks everyone. It doesn't matter how deeply you are a Christian or you believe. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter the money that you have in your bank account. It doesn't matter how secure your job is. It doesn't matter how peaceful or stressful your family is. Anxiety can still attack. Now, a case in point, King David, 
right? He's the king. King David often was plagued with anxiety. In fact, there's uh, in, the, in the book of Psalms, right, 150 Psalms, in the book of Psalms, there's one style of Psalms, and it is called a lament. Now, what a lament is, is it's when the psalmist, whoever wrote that particular psalm, cries out to God in times of deep distress and despair. Out of 150 psalms, I want you to hear this, 70% of them are laments. Now, we don't tend to think that about the psalms, right? We tend to think all oh, the psalms are about rejoicing and the psalms are about singing and the psalms are about lightheartedness. 70% of the psalms are laments, which means they're about times of distress and deep times of despair. In fact, King David wrote many of those lament psalms. And we're going to look at one of those today to try to see how King David handled his lamenting, his times of deep despair, distress, and anxiety. So in Psalm 61, one of the first things that we notice is that King David reveals his state of mind. In verses 1 and 2, he says this, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. So in that, in that first verse and a half, we very quickly get, get King David's state of mind. Right? He uses the word cry. He's not saying, hey, Lord, I'd like to discuss something with you. Or he's not saying, hey, I'm trying to figure this out. Or I'd like to have a little dialogue about something. He's saying, I am crying out to you. Right? I, I want you to know about my situation and my circumstances and how I feel about it. It is a cry. It's not simply a dialogue. He also uses the phrase, from the ends of the earth. Now, you know, when you get your picture around, you get your mind around this, this picture of the ends of the earth, I mean, what does that look like to you, right? What it means is I've been running, man, I've been running and I've been running and I've been running and I have no place else to run. I have come to the end of the earth, of all the territory that there is. I'm at the end of this territory. And then he says, my heart grows faint. So he's so he's kind of telling us he's feeling the effects of this, right? Of his distress and his turmoil. He's feeling his anxiety in his emotions and in his thoughts and, and even physically as he, as he gives this expression. Now, now, what is it that is driving King David to the edge of the earth? You know, there's a lot of things that can put us to the edge of the earth, right? To the ends of the earth. There's a lot of things that can, that can take us there. Right? And, and for King David, if you think about all of his pressures, first of all, he has to rule a kingdom. So all the weight of the kingdom is upon his shoulders, right? So he perceives, and that in and of itself, that constant pressure, right? Day after day after day after day, the grind of all of that, right? It, it could take him to the, to the end of the earth. Family concerns. I don't know how much you've read about David's family or not, but, but I mean, David has family issues. Right? Some of them, you know, is from his own actions, right? That got created. Uh, some of them, right, just, right, just, they're just there. They're just family issues and family concerns. Some of it from personal disobedience. He made decisions he shouldn't have made. He did things that he shouldn't have done. He sinned. He personally disobeyed God. And, and right, he's got that stress in his life. But in particular, 
in Psalm 61, he mentions what's driving him in despair. He says in verse three that he has a foe, that there's somebody or something that's out to get him. Like he feels it. I have a foe. There's somebody who's coming after me with intention and with purpose. There's this foe that I am up against. But, but it's interesting because like if you, if you look at David's life, much like if you would look at your life and my life, it's like David had foes at every station of his life. Like there was never a time that David was foe-less, if that's a word. You can correct me later, right? I mean, there was never a time where David did not have a foe in his life. Think about this. Think about what we know about David, right? When David was a small boy and he used to tend the flocks, who was his foe? He names it. Who? Lions and bears. And think about this. Here he is, right? He's just, I don't know, nine years old, 10 years old, 11 years old. And he's putting himself between the sheep and a lion. That's a serious foe. He's putting himself between the sheep and a bear. And he's got a little slingshot. And that's all. I mean, he doesn't even have a lock and load. He's like, his lock and load is, oh, wait a minute. Let me put this rock in here. And and that's how he's fending off lions and bears. Serious foes for a 10-year-old. But he had foes. And then he got anointed as king, right? And, and, and you know the story well. He gets anointed as king. He, he goes over. He, he slays Goliath with that same slingshot, you know? He slays Goliath. Then next thing you know, the king is after him. Did you know he ran from the threat of King Saul for seven years of his life? He had to hide from place to place, running from here to there, hiding in caves, right? Going into a foreign land, all of these things to like, like survive because King Saul was after him. And then he becomes king. And the first two years that he is king, he's in a civil war, right? The North and the South, I mean, there's this big civil war as he's trying to bring the nation together in, in unity. There's this two year long civil war against the house of Saul. And, and then, you know, as he, as he ages as king, right, there ends up being a rebellion by his own son, Absalom. Talk about family issues, right? Absalom begins to undermine his leadership. He gains support outside of the capital, Jerusalem. He rallies an army to his side, and he ousts King David from Jerusalem and the throne. So, I mean, right here, David is, man, David's, Years, years along, and his, and his adult son has kicked him off the throne, has taken charge, and David once again is running for his life. Now, now I do want to say in Psalms chapter 61, we don't know exactly what foe that King David is talking about at this time. Right? It could be one of these foes that we just mentioned. It could be another foe that he's up against. But we definitely know that whoever the foe is, it has moved him in his mind and in his heart to the ends of the earth. You know what he means. I mean, you may not have a king that's chasing you down, but you know what it means to be at the ends of the earth. You you get that sense and you get the feeling, I have no place else to go. I don't know what to do. There's not another step that I can take. There's no solid ground around me. 
You know, I am absolutely sure for King David, this wasn't his first time, and it will not be the last time that he feels like he's at the end of the earth. But there's something interesting in, in this lament. And, and one of the things that's really interesting is David, in the midst of crying out to God and speaking of his desperation and mentioning his foe, he also at the same time delivers three thoughts to us that gives us strength in times of anxiety. In other words, like this is a whole, like, like this lament in Psalm 61 is David saying, this is where I'm at and this is what I think. And then ultimately, this is how I got over or through it. So three concepts this morning for us when we feel like we're at the ends of the earth. The first one, David said, dwelling in God's tent. Psalm 61 verse four. He says, I long to dwell in your tent forever. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about tents, right? Um, I, when I think about tents, what I tend to think about is I tend to think about at least the annual trip. And I tried to take an annual trip when my boys were little, where we would go out and we would camp and we would fish. I tried to do that at least once a year. Once in a while, not very often. We might've done it twice a year, right? But we would get the tent, we would go out, and we'd put up the tent, and then we would fish, and it would just be a good time, right? We'd have a little campfire, we'd cook out over the campfire, we'd fish, we'd hang out. It was just a great time, this idea of the tent. And, and I don't know, have, they, have any of you ever, like, tried to set up uh, the pole tents? Remember the old pole tents they used to have? I mean, when I grew up, we had a pole tent at home, and it was like murder to set up. It was crazy trying to set up this pole tent, you know, it's fall up. Now they have these dome tents. How much nicer dome tents are, right? Because it's just, I mean, you just slip it through. Boom, next thing you know, it's up. But anyhow, nevertheless, I'm not an expert on tenning. So don't come and say, Pastor, that pole tent you were talking. Don't, I'm not an expert in tenning. But when David mentioned tents, he's talking about something very specifically from a different background. Like, first of all, tents in the minds of an Israelite always related them back to the wilderness journeys when they lived in tents. So, I mean, David, when, when he says, man, I would love to dwell in your tent, there's several thoughts that wrapped up in that idea of tent for David. Like one of the things that wrapped up in those thoughts was, I'm not at home. I'm not home because I'm choosing to live in a tent. I'm not in my palace. I'm not in my father's house. I'm not at home. I don't have the comfort of home around me. I'm not there. And, and another thing that came up is like, like, like whenever they were tenting, whenever Israel was tenting, they were aliens in a foreign land. So like they weren't only not at home in their house or in their own living room. I mean, they weren't even in their country. In fact, the reality was for Israel, they didn't have a country yet because they didn't, they didn't win Israel yet. So, I mean, then they're in a, they're in a foreign land. And, and in particular, when, when David says, I, I, you know, I desire to dwell in your tent forever, he's speaking specifically about the tabernacle in the time they were going through the wilderness. You know, the tabernacle, the great big tent that would be their house of worship. You know, they'd set up the tabernacle and then they would set up by tribe all the tents around it and the tabernacle would be in the middle right, in this time of the wilderness. And David is saying, I long to dwell in your tent. Where you live, O God, is where I desire to live. And, and so there's this recognition that, 
that I'm an alien in a, in a foreign land, but, but I, can tent, I can still be with you. Then the final thought attached to this is this idea of a journey, right? David's on a, on a journey. So, so what a powerful concept it is when he recognizes and says, I'm at the end of the earth, but I'm on a journey. I'm not at home. I'm in a foreign land and I'm on a journey. I'm growing. I'm learning. God isn't done with me yet. I'm still moving ahead. Do you know the scripture speaks about those concepts that David mentioned in the Psalms about us? The scripture says we are the very same. Like when it says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, and the Apostle Paul says that we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So we're called ambassadors. You know what an ambassador does, right? An ambassador is a diplomat set by one country as a representative to a foreign country. And, and, and that's one of the things the scripture says we are as believers. We're God's ambassadors here. This isn't our home. This isn't our land, right? We're in a foreign country. We're not at home. John 17, 16, I don't know how much more clear it could be. When Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says these words as he prays for us, they are not of the world as I am not of the world. And boy, that's a powerful message, isn't it? When Jesus is praying for his disciples right before he goes to the cross, and then, he, of course, he goes on in that prayer, and he, he, prays, for, he prays for our protection. He prays for, for our fulfilling our purpose. He prays for all sorts of things, right, for his followers. But there's a huge recognition that we're not home, right, that we're, we're not of this world. And then there's this whole idea of this spiritual journey and development that the Scripture says we're on. All right, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this that he who began a good work would, would carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So this idea that we're on a journey, we're in process, right? We're still learning and growing and being developed by God. So like we, we live in this foreign land, we're, we're not of this world, and, and, and yet we're being developed continually by God in the midst. Now, now I realize this, I realize that the idea of a tent at the ends of the earth may not seem very appealing, right? Like, I think about my dome tent. As many of, of, of the fond memories I have with that dome tent and my kids, the truth is, is it really doesn't sound very appealing to me to be in a dome tent at the end of the earth. And, and, and we, could, we could look at that, but we, but we have to understand that that when we make a decision to live in God's tent, it's not like we're tenting in my dome tent. It's like we're, we're glamping. Have you ever glamped before? Anybody here ever glamped before? Right? So, so you get an idea a little bit about what glamping is, right? You go out and you, you rent this tent, right? You're not taking it with you. You're not setting it up. You rent this tent. This tent is already in place. And, and pretty much all the luxuries of home are in this tent. I've had friends that have clamped and they're like, oh my goodness, there's recliners, there's refrigerators, there's, there's a big screen TV, there's anything you can imagine. And it's all inside this tent and it's absolutely luxurious. So, so here's what I want to say. 
about, about this idea of dwelling in the tent of God. I, I want you to hear this. Being an alien, journeying through a foreign land, does not, does not have to be tormenting. It does not have to be aimless. And it does not have to be unproductive when it's purposeful. Like, like I, I think about this. I think about how many times we see God do incredible things with people that are just like us. Walking through a foreign land. They're on a journey. They're not home yet. They're still in process being developed. Think about it. Think about how often Paul speaks about this. How Paul speaks about his contentment in the midst of some horrific circumstances that surround him. Or think about Abraham. Right, Abraham grew to great prosperity in a foreign land. You look at Joseph, he raised to the second in command of all of Egypt. He wasn't Egyptian. You think about Moses, Moses won amazing battles and delivered the Israelites all in a foreign land. You think about Daniel, he becomes the chief advisor to the king of Babylon. I mean, the reality is, just because we live in a foreign land doesn't mean we're defeated. Just because we live in a foreign land and we're not home yet doesn't mean that, that, that there's no purpose or, or drive or success that awaits us in life. Exactly the opposite. When we dwell in the tent of the Lord and when we focus in on his purposes, what wonderful reality could be ours in that midst. But you know, this idea of living in the tent isn't, isn't the only concept that David brought forth in his lament. He has another concept for us to think about God. Right? One is like this idea of tent, and this idea that we're on the journey, and this idea that. But he has another concept. It's a little bit different than a tent. He produces the concept that God is our strong tower. Now, that's a little different than a tent, right? A strong tower. In other words, David is coming to the realization in the middle of being at the end of the earth, in the middle of crying out, in the middle of recognizing his foe, that there is no weakness for him in this. There's no weakness because God is his strong tower. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. I mean, the image of a strong tower is a structure that's solid and a structure that's unmoving a place where there is no fear, a place where you can stand tall, a, a place where you need not crumble, a place where you need not be alarmed or, or you need to be full of fear, a place where you can have great confidence even in a foreign land, even while you're on the journey, even while you're still in process. Man, there's this place that God provides for us in him that is this strong tower. So we need not cower, or we need not be afraid, or we need not feel overwhelmed, or we need not feel anxious, because he is our strong tower. In fact, David wrote another psalm. You're very familiar with it, right? Probably the most popular psalm he wrote, the 23rd psalm. And the 23rd psalm, you know, sometimes they struggle because they, they could classify it as a lament, right? Because of the things that he mentions in the psalm, right? But, but they classify it as a shepherd psalm, which is... It's a psalm of God's direction, right? Overwhelming. It, it portrays God as a shepherd. So, so but, but you know these words. And listen to the things that David mentions. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my 
enemies. So think about this. Even in the 23rd Psalms, he mentions dark valleys, evil, and enemies. I mean, right, he's describing this, 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 access, this access of threat upon us. But here's what he's telling us in the 23rd Psalm. You can learn to function comfortably in the presence of that which or those who would do you in. That's the confidence you can have in the Lord, that he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, that there's some sense of, of calling or development or growth or understanding in our life that we need not be afraid, that we need not attack, that we need not run from, that we can somehow live comfortably even with whatever foes might be around us. We just have a level of comfort and confidence because God is God. So, so right, based on these two things, right, he delivers these two concepts, hey, this idea of the tent, and then he delivers this concept of the strong tower. Based on these two things, King David makes a decision, right? Towards the end, you know, he starts off and he says, oh, things are so desperate. They're so bad. They're so horrible. And then he goes, yes, but, but I'm on a journey, and I realize this is a journey, and I realize this isn't my home. This isn't where I'm going to live permanently. I recognize that I can, even while I'm here, live in your tent. And then he goes on to, and you are my strong tower, right? He presents these concepts, right, that, that help us get our mind around, even when things are desperate and anxiety may overwhelm us. Then he delivers a decision based on those two concepts, right? He decides what he's going to do. He decides how he's going to approach life how he's gonna function. And this is what he decides. He chooses to praise and fulfill his vows. So like, here's an important question for us. It is a question about anxiety. How do you choose to respond to the darkness? How do you choose to respond to the evil that surrounds? How do you choose to respond to the enemy? That's important because part of your choice is going to decide whether you're filled with anxiety or whether you're not. Part of your choice is going to, going to decide whether you're overwhelmed and swept under or whether you're not. Right? The, the decision you make in a moment like that is incredibly important. Right? Some people, some people decide that, that the darkness, the evil, and the enemies are going to dominate them. So it's going to fill their mind. It's going to fill their heart. Right, And that's all they're going to talk about. That's all they're going to be bothered by. That's all they're going to see the world in, is they're only going to see the world in this idea of darkness, evil, and enemies. Right, And they're always on a campaign right, about the darkness, evils, and the enemies. Right? The, the, the negativity that can fill our minds and, and dominates our thoughts also can be a root of our anxiety. Not saying they don't exist. David didn't say they don't exist. But if, man, we allow, like, full access and, and then we get overwhelmed with these things, and, and man, I mean, it, it absolutely can for certain dominate our mind and our hearts. But David decides something different. David decides in this lament that he's not going to respond to the foes in his life. It's not what he says at the end. 
At the end of this psalm, he doesn't say, and Lord, I'm going to find my enemy. And with your strength, I'm going to track them down. And I'm going to slay them like I slayed Goliath. That's not the decision he makes in this, right? Here's the decision he makes. I'm going to praise you, O Lord, and I'm going to fulfill my vows. And you know, that's actually the last word in this psalm that David gives to being at the ends of the earth. Like the last word. So David, what are you going to do? How are you going to handle it? You're at the ends of the earth. I'm going to praise the Lord and I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. How are you going to, well, I mean, what about your foes? Well, I'm going to praise the Lord and I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. Yeah, but aren't you at risk? Has your circumstance changed? Is anything different? I'm different. That's something that's different. And instead of being overwhelmed, I'm going to praise the Lord and I'm going to fulfill my vows. Verse 8, chapter 61. Then I will ever sing in praise of your name and fulfill my vows day after day. Now, now, do you know what happens when you praise the Lord? I mean, when I, was, when I was a little kid, we used to talk about this all the time in church. There were songs written about this. In fact, I mentioned this first service and somebody came up and said, Russ Taff and the Imperials. He sang that song. Is that right? I said, beats me. I don't know who sung it. But, but I mean, remember we used to have church and every once in a while we'd have special music and sometimes you'd have two or three special musics and somebody stand up and sing. Here's one that was saying all the time about what happens when we praise the Lord. The chains fall off when we praise the Lord. You know, the scripture says that. Colossians 3 says our troubles look smaller when we praise the Lord. You, you know why that is? It's so commonsensical, right? Like even the phrase that says we make a mountain out of a molehill, right? Our problems are this big. Here they are. But if all we're doing is zooming in on our problems, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. But if we take that problem and we put it next to our almighty God, all of a sudden that problem looks its appropriate size and he looks big. I mean, so man, we start praising the Lord. All of a sudden we're like, whew, I have a God that can handle all of these things. Deuteronomy chapter eight, it says, man, when we begin to praise the Lord, our eyes are open to the blessings that are around us. So in other words, it's still we start acknowledging, wait a minute, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be overwhelmed with this problem. My God is great. Man, I believe in the Lord, my God. He is good. He fights for me. He, all of a sudden, we begin to see all the blessings that surround us. Remember the, remember the story in the Old Testament where the prophet's servant runs into the house and says, woe is me. You should see the army that's come up against us. There's no hope for us. We've got to run. And the prophet gets up and he walks outside the doors and he looks and he's not nervous at all. He's not afraid at all. And his servant is like, oh no, we're doomed. We're not going to make it. We're going to die here today. And the prophet says, oh no, no, no. Look around. There's way more for us than there are against us. It's like, what are you talking about? And then he says, Lord, open up his eyes. And then all of a sudden he sees the host of heaven itself. No reason to fear. I mean, praise does that to us. 
Somehow focusing in on praising the Lord opens our eyes up to all the blessings that surround us. Acts chapter 16, right? Paul and Silas in prison and, and they start praising the Lord. Next thing you know, an earthquake comes, right? All this stuff happens. Their chains fall off. The prison door breaks open. I mean, they could walk out free, right? Not because they, they had an army come, not because they voted enough to overturn anything, although I'm not against voting correctly and properly. I think you should, right? Uh, but I mean, I'm just saying like, right, but, but the element of praising the Lord had a direct impact. So here David is, he's sitting at the ends of the earth and he decides, you know what? I'm gonna praise. I'm just gonna praise my way through all of these difficulties. Now, now here's something I wanna say about, about praising the Lord, right? If I were sitting in your seat, I would be doing this. I'd be sitting there saying, he's asking me to, uh, to deny reality. He's asking me to pretend like I don't have problems and I'm not up against a tough situation and I'm not. No, that, that's not what praise is about. Praise isn't about denying, living in denial of the difficulties of life. Praising the Lord means you've made a choice in how to handle the difficulties in life. That's what praising the Lord's about. It's not about acting like they don't exist or acting like everything's rosy. It's about saying, man, my God is bigger than all of this. So, I mean, David said, I'm gonna praise the Lord. That's gonna be one of my answers to the anxiety that I feel and how overwhelmed I feel. Here's another thing he says, is that he decided that he was gonna fulfill his vows. In other words, David made some commitments and he said, I'm not gonna neglect the commitments I made. I am not going to allow the enemy my foe to push me off of that which I promised to God. I'm not going to allow that to happen. Now, specifically in this, it's specifically he's speaking directly, David is, to the sacrifices that he was supposed to offer. Right? He's supposed to offer sacrifices at harvest and that's specifically what he's speaking about. He's like, nope, I am still gonna offer my harvest sacrifices to God. I'm going to give to God what is his. But you know what David is saying in that midst? He's saying, I'm not giving up. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to let these difficulties deter me in life. I'm going to continue to do what it is that I have committed to God and what God has called me to. He was going to live into who God is rather than what the circumstances and the foes of his life are. Now, I want to say something. You have that decision every single day. Every single day, you have a decision to make. Am I going to live life into who God is and who I know him to be? Or am I going to live life into my circumstances and who my enemies are? But, but I want to give you, I'm going to give you like a bonus material here. A little bonus lesson from David's, David's psalm, Okay. I'm not charging you extra for this, so don't get nervous, right? This is a freebie. It's like you said, hey, it's my birthday, and I'm the waiter, and I bring you a piece of pie. Hey, happy birthday. That's what this is, just a bonus, okay? Notice in the psalm that as distraught as David is, that he only mentions the problem once. Do you notice that? He only mentions the problem one time, right? He talks about his foe one time. 
but he mentions who God is multiple times. Now that ought to teach us something. Because we mention our foe and our problems and, our, and what makes us distraught and our, and our difficulties over and over and over and over and over again. Well, David mentioned it one time. He said, oh Lord, hear my cry. This is where I'm at. This is how I feel. This is what I think. And this is why. And then he goes, but I know who you are. And then he spends the rest of the time saying who God is. And listen to some of the things that he says about God. You're a rock that's higher than mine. You're my strong tower. You are my tent in which I wish to dwell. I will live under the shelter of your wings. Continually, multiple times, four times at least, as much as he mentioned his problem, he mentioned who God was. Man, you want to help overcome anxiety? Let's give that a try. Rather than saying, oh, this is what I don't like, and this is what I don't like, and this is what I don't like. Man, I got to tell you, if I would do that, if I would just list all the times in which I allowed some sort of negative thought come into my mind, I'd have 50 in a day, which meant I would have to say 200 times how good God is, right? That may counter my anxiety. It would change your focus. I tell you one thing that would happen, if I kept track of that, I'd have to stop saying negative things, Right? I'd have to start saying, right, because, man, I want to overwhelm my mind and my heart, not with that, oh, that oppresses me, but with the one who sets me free. That's what I want my mind to be filled with. And I think about this. I think about in, 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 in Ephesians 6, right, the, the Apostle Paul talks about spiritual warfare. And he's talking about spiritual warfare. You know, we do not fight against flesh and blood, which is one of our problems because we always think we're fighting against each other, Right. We always think we're fighting against flesh and blood. And Paul says, you don't fight against flesh and blood. You fight against the principalities and the angels. And the, you know, so, but, but anyhow, but he goes through that. And then right after that, he talks about putting on the armor of God. And he lists all the armor of God. You know, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, you know, the sword of truth, the, 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 the shoes that are fitted with the gospel of peace. He goes on and he talks about the armor that we're supposed to put on. And then after he says everything about the armor, Listen to what he says. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, notice this, when, not if, because the day of evil is coming, the day of being overwhelmed is coming, anxiety is going to take place, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Now, you know, one of the things that's always been so intriguing to me about this passage of Scripture is Paul spends so much time equipping us with armor, right? Man, I mean, he even gets down to the belt that we wear underneath our armor to strap up the, you know, the, the attire so that we don't trip over it. I mean, he goes into all of this detail about the armor of God, we get it all on. We get all suited up. We're ready to fight. And then he says, don't attack. He doesn't tell us to attack. He doesn't tell us to run. He doesn't say, draw your sword and swing it like a madman. He doesn't call us to do that. You know what he says? Once you put all this on, stand. What? Stand. Keep your feet don't fall apart don't run don't collapse man don't be crushed don't do it stand your ground why 
because God fights for you. God fights for you. Two phrases I've grown up with from the, from the time I could understand the English language, right? My father would always say to me, Dave, you're always your strongest when your knees are bent. Prayer, you're always your strongest when you're in communication with him. That's when you are your strongest. And you always see more clearly what's in front of you when you're looking up. Man, two truths for us today. You need not be overwhelmed by the circumstances and situations, even the foes of this world. For you can choose to dwell in his tent. You can choose to run into the strong tower so that you can live a life full of praise and moving forward in your commitments and vows and purposes and calling that he's placed on your life. Jesus, I praise you and I thank you for your goodness. How good you are to us, Lord. And Jesus, I praise you for, the, for, for, for Psalms chapter 61, where, Lord, you don't pretend as though we live in a world that doesn't have difficulties. You don't pretend to live in a world where, where they overwhelm us in our humanity. It's so easy, Lord, to become overwhelmed when we look at just ourselves. But Jesus, the, the, the minute that we bring you into the picture, it changes everything. It changes the way we think and it changes the way we feel. It changes the difference that can be made. And Lord, whether our circumstances change or not, and so many times, Lord, you do change our circumstances. But whether they're changed or not, Lord, you always change us. You always help us. Jesus, I thank you for that. I thank you for your goodness. And Jesus, I want to pray for those that are here today that are overwhelmed with anxiety. I mean, they're like David was in, in, in the first verse. I'm crying out to you, Lord. I'm not dialoguing about this. I'm not discussing this. I want you to know I am at the end of the earth. And for whatever the reason is, Jesus helped them to see that they can live in your tent. They can run to the strong tower and they can praise. And how that changes our perspective and how that changes our mind. So Lord, help us today in the midst of all of the things there are to feel anxious about. And there's thousands and tens of thousands and millions that not one of them and not all of them collectively are bigger than you. I praise you, Lord. I thank you for your goodness for your grace, for your mercy, for who it is that you are. Now, Lord, help us turn over all of those worries and fears, anxieties, threats, and cast them upon you. In response to your goodness, Lord, in response to your grace, and even in response to what David says here, in fulfilling the vow,
Lord, receive what it is we bring. And know, Lord, we bring it from a heart that understands that you are the provider and the protector. So receive what we bring as we bring it in great joy. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.